0: Warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program.
1: It's the Real Britannia Podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies, with just a hint of professionalism. There usually is only a hint. There's usually Stephen sitting next to me or over Skype at some point, but the professionalism has been up to notch. Or two. Mm. <laughs> and I haven't even scripted this. I can hear I can hear murmurs of approval down the line. I've got I've, I've got two very special guests with me this evening this this is an emergency episode of Real Britannia as as listeners will know I host the Stinking Paws podcast Rainbow Valley podcast and I was very fortunate about a year ago to be asked to be co-host on the official Talking Pictures TV podcast along with Mel Byron and Daniel Ryfershide. good evening guys
0: hello. Hi, so hello thank you for having us
1: Listeners to the Talking Pictures TV podcast will know that we, we share the hosting duties, don't we, guys? It's it's something yep. that we do every two weeks. And it's very rare that we sit together and talk together like <laughs> this.
2: Certainly. I mean, uh, we, we used to do it in real life back in the olden days. Oh, yes.
1: Oh, yes.
0: Ah, <laughs> remember those days of yore,
1: yes. Pre-COVID and all of that malarkey. I, I'm looking forward to the Talking Pictures TV I'm going to say piss up, because that's what it usually turns out to be. (laughs) Um, Meeting up in central London, you know, just just the the listeners of the podcast and the viewers of the TV station all getting together uh, and just sharing a love of old movies, which is what we do week in, week out, guys, isn't it? We've got a genuine love for this channel. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's it's really... uh, Oh, God, I'm going to use a horrible phrase now. I'm going to use the phrase... Game changer. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> but it really has been. And yeah, it's just changed the TV landscape, hasn't it? It was given film fans like us something to watch.
1: I don't know about you, but sometimes I just leave it on in the background and it's it's always, you know, just there. And as I'm walking through the house pottering about, you know, it's, like, oh my God, there's a Will Hay film on. Oh, look, it's George Formby. <laughs> you know, uh, for you, Mel, it's, well, it's Googie Withers.
0: You know. <laughs> uh, if it, I'm sorry, if it was a Googie with this film, it wouldn't be on in the background. Can I just say that? It would be getting my full and undivided attention. It's
1: <laughs> it's amazing the reaction that. It's five years, isn't it? Just over five years they've been broadcasting Sarah and the guys. and
0: Yeah, I think coming up to six. Yeah, yeah.
1: and who would have thought, you know, well, I, I don't think it is a surprise. I think it is exactly what people want. You know, the, the, there's calls for the hearkening back of the proper old Saturday night TV with variety shows that are not, you know, talent show based or you've got Simon Cowell sitting behind a desk.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean it's been amazing that um in the past couple of few weeks on a Saturday night at prime time mm-hmm. we've had Betty Davis, we've had Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> to me, that is where Betty Davis and Jimmy Stewart belong. Prime time on a Saturday night. Well, Nobody else is giving us that.
1: Exactly. I mean Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: it's really sad because like general TV will just give you, you know, the same 10 to 20 classic movies if that yeah. at all you know and at some point you've seen uh, kind hearts and coronets <laughs> at some point you've seen you know a canterbury tale and uh you know the great thing about talking pictures tv is because it is a uh, channel that is on all the time we get to really dig deep and really check out all of these films as well that you know uh, have been mostly forgotten that that might be as good or sometimes better than the acknowledged classics. Well, yeah, yeah. Definitely.
1: You guys are like me. You know your movies. You know your classic films. But even I'm surprised sometimes at some of that stuff that comes up. It's like, oh my, I didn't even know that. You know, I wasn't even aware. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah.
1: And it's not just movies, it's it's the TV shows as well. Let's not forget, you know, you've got Rooms and Enemy at the Door and, and what else is the new one that's coming? Champions is quite recent, isn't it?
0: Champions is is only a few weeks in. Interpol Calling, that's my new it? must-watch. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's fantastic. You haven't watched it every weeknight, 6pm. Yeah. Charles Corbin, It's just fantastic I mean All of the, Like the ITC things Even like the champions mm. You know Some of them do look like They were made on a budget Of 10p And and we know That Tremaine's office Is actually an office block Up the road from here In Whetstone But an Interpol <laughs> call It's true I must take a picture And put it on our Facebook page And um, in the ball calling, I know that a lot of it is stock footage, but it's done so well; it actually looks like they've thrown some money at it.
1: Oh wow! Okay, so it's
0: th- really good, and Charles <laughs> Corvin is fantastic and um, oh, it's just great. It, uh, and the guest stars. That's the other thing about these great old T V series, is the guest stars. It's like, oh god, you know, for the Raymond Huntley sponsors young he's <laughs> like, It's god. Raymond. <laughs> he was a baddie in Interpol calling the other
1: week. See, that's another thing, isn't it? I mean, there's this big thing on Talking Pictures T V about the guys that look out for Sam Kidd.
0: Yes. <laughs> um
1: for me personally it's Raymond Huntley.
0: Yeah, um, same here.
1: Yeah. Um because you're like me, mate. Well You've got to tell your Raymond Huntley story, Mel. You tell it every time we do a podcast. What's your Raymond Huntley
0: oh, I mean, story? About <laughs> well, little eighteen-year-old me coming to London for the big. City. It was all very Rita Toshingham, you know. <laughs> I come like, from the north of England and I come to live in the big city of London, and it was the mid-eighties, and you know, all my friends were into Madonna or the Smiths or whatever, and I'm walking up Charing Cross Road and coming towards me in the opposite direction. I see this this grand old gen in a three-piece suit. He may have had a fob watch. I can't remember. but He definitely had a stick. And I was just staring at him going, oh, my God, it's Raymond Huntley. And I was the most uncool teenager in the world. There was no way I could go back to the student hall of residence where I live and go, I've just seen Raymond Huntley. I just couldn't do it. Because, you know, they were all on their walk ones yep. listening to Morrissey. So, but it was just, it, to me, it was like, uh, I knew it, I knew it was it was right for me to move to London. Yeah. I knew it was the right thing to do. I saw Raymond yeah. Hadley.
2: It's a shame that he was never a Smiths album cover because they saw oh.
1: a lot of... Oh, prime candidate. Albums. Yes, prime candidate.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. The Smiths album cover we all need. to the doors. sorry. <laughs> Bye-bye. Pat Pat Phoenix. It was Raymond. <laughs> Raymond's the band we won. Yes.
1: Perhaps we'll have to... Um, <laughs> We'll have to make him some sort of unofficial. Ma- well, no, Googie Withers is the unofficial mascot, I think, of this podcast. She's but- my,
0: my unofficial mascot. Yes, <laughs> yeah. But it yeah. no, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? All these people just they just turn up all the time. And I, as you know, I did that interview with her daughter, and we were yeah. going through the. You know, before I did it, I went through the schedule for Joanna, and I literally read out. Okay, next week your dad's on, <laughs> and then your the mum and dad together. And then, oh, and then there's an episode. And then your dad's in that. And then you're on because she was on. Of course, yeah. So it was like like the whole family was kind of filling the schedules. Which I love.
1: Uh, I I don't know about you guys. I mean, we we record every two weeks on Talking Pictures TV podcast. We take it in turns. And I think we're quite unique as a podcast because – we're quite lazy podcasters in in the respect that we let the listener or the talking pictures tv viewer do the bulk of the hard work for us don't we
0: yeah yeah and some of the i mean you know it's some of the stuff that that they know is oh. just amazing i think i'm really well informed mm. Some of the stuff I disagree with. I don't know about you <laughs> <laughs> Really? But you know what? That's part of the joy of it, isn't
1: it? Everybody's got an opinion and they're entitled to it. They, they could be right, they could be wrong. But what I like is I appreciate the fact that somebody has taken the time out to record a three- or four-minute review and send it to us for no other reason apart from the fact that... I don't think they're frustrated podcasters because a lot of them do their own podcasts, and a lot of them... Um, have, have no interest in podcasting whatsoever i think it's just a genuine love for the mm. movies they're talking about and they just want to make sure that people hear that these movies are being shown um, and you know
2: mm. everyone has a voice is the thing as well you know it it, it the podcast so much to have these different people with different sensibilities different tastes and in, yep. in movies uh contributing uh, i think it, it, if it was You know, in a parallel universe where it would be uh, every two weeks, either you, me or Mel do 20 minutes or 30 minutes of of reviews of Talking Pictures TV movies. Mm -hmm. Apart from that being a lot of work for us, (laughs) I think it would actually be less interesting.
1: I think so.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think so because we all have our own particular loves, we just, we just every six weeks somebody would be like, "Oh God, she's back with Googie," you know. I, I, I think, I think
1: mine was Saturday Morning Pictures. Mine was the Children's Film Foundation stuff for a little while, wasn't it?
0: it was- oh But that's you know, I mean, that's I mean, if if anything demonstrates. How Talking Pictures has tapped into something nostalgic oh, that people definitely. were really looking for. It has to be Saturday morning pictures, hasn't
1: it? Yeah, for for anybody that hasn't seen the schedule on a Saturday morning, it is just like turning up at the local Galmont or the Odeon, isn't it, Mel, with your sixpence in yeah. your pocket? And and it's Flash Gordon, it's Champion the Wonder Horse has come back for the la- you know in the last couple of weeks. It's Zorro yeah. Popeye cartoons, Superman cartoons and a, and a children's film foundation movie. What what more could you want on a Saturday morning? That's just incredible, you know, and it's it's just perfect well, the, perfect scheduling. It
0: is. The radar men from moon are next
1: week. <laughs> and I bet we're all three of us will be watching it, I can guarantee. Oh, too right. <laughs> Part of the reason I've I've dragged you out of this ungodly hour on a Thursday <laughs> evening um Apart from to talk about talking pictures TV and the podcast, is is to try and drum up a little bit of support for the podcast. We've got a great stable of contributors that contribute week in, week out, and we just like to hear from a few more people. Um, Mel in particular would like the female voice to be heard a little bit more.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes.
2: With our full support, Scott. Of course. No, well, I'm not saying I'm not. Saying I'm not like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> some
1: well, I'm quite happy as it is, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I mean, I don't know about you guys. You know, that the contributors that are, that are churning out this stuff week in, week out, they've actually become quite good friends with us as well, haven't they? Mm. Some of them. You know, we've met them in real life. Mel organises every couple of months an online quiz, and everybody yeah, gets we need together. To do another. You know, mm. it's, it's become a social thing, hasn't it, Daniel? was not it, Mel? You know that it, it's more than a podcast—the Talking Pictures TV
0: podcast. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, but that's what Talking Pictures is as well. And if you talk to Sarah, mm. you know they get phone calls from people every day, and I and I've seen some of the messages they get from people just saying thank you yeah thank you and you know you've really helped me I saw one uh, email a a lady sent her it must be last summer just saying you know the last few months you know after the first lockdown it been so difficult thank you you've actually made it bearable I live on my own and you've made it bearable for me it's really quite touching. So mm. that that connection with the audience, I can't think of any other channel that, that but, does that. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm gonna say also the fact that we are all talking about Sarah, you know, and that we know that it's this small operation with her mm. and her dad. It's uh, it's almost ealing-esque, isn't it? It's the plucky <laughs> <Yes>. little <laughs> and 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 like it's it's so different from most of the other, you know, no shade, but most of the other big movie channels that you get on cable which are you know subsidiaries of multinational companies mm,
1: not mentioned any names. Faceless. yes yeah. mm. yes there's one we're not too happy with yes they're just yeah, stealing a bit of thunder <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> but I, re- I remember
1: sarah saying you know when we, one of you know, the early days when we first met her you know she said she answers the phone at two o'clock three o'clock in the morning
0: oh gosh yeah and yeah it, she yeah. told me that christmas day was one of her busiest days yeah people, oh, wow. people yeah
1: because people are ringing up because I don't know that the signal may have gone down or are there, people mm-hmm. just generally say, oh, I missed Scrooge with Alistair Sim. When are you repeating? And, and she will yeah, genuinely yeah. take the time out to talk to anybody yeah. and everybody and give them the time. And it is just absolutely People just fantastic. want
0: to chat as well. Yeah. People just want to chat about old movies. Who else are you going to talk to about? will hay or sam kidd or raymond huntley
1: or well you know. well there's us three through a start
0: oh, yeah. They can talk to
2: us. <laughs> or you know if we want to make this a really smooth transition why they can talk to the all o- the whole of the internet <laughs> by submitting a review
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice
0: one thank you we've
1: well, got full details at the end of this review of how people can be part of the talking pictures tv podcast Uh, What we're going to do, this is is an episode of Real Britannia, as you know, but it's also going to go out on the Talking Pictures feed as well. So, you know, everybody's going to benefit. The Real Britannia listeners, the Talking Pictures TV uh, listeners are going to get something from this. Because also, what we've decided to do, and there's going to be a very fast turnaround on this, one of the premieres coming up this week is an early Hitchcock movie called Young and Innocent. And we thought, well, why not? three of us get together because we don't do it often enough guys and we should
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we'll have a chat about a bit of classic british early hitchcock pre-rebecca pre-hollywood stuff so mm-hmm. if you're ready let's take a short break we'll be back after this
0: for what we're about to receive may the lord make us truly okay chris do behave yourself you're so meant to think what grace means okay it ought to be said in latin really
2: you needn't swank just because you were top in latin last term
0: go to the dentist this money Yes, Dad? Yes. No fear. Look. Oh, it
1: is a big hole, isn't it?
2: But it didn't hurt. I hardly felt anything. <laughs> the only thing is, I must have my potatoes mashed. You know, I don't mind going to the dentist. You were jolly white at breakfast.
0: I wasn't. Yes, you were. You were wobbling like a jellyfish. Here, okay, let's have a look. Big, isn't it? Well, do get on with your lunch. It's not a very nice conversation. I may have to have a plate. Stanley, be quiet.
2: Chris, you might lend me your gun after lunch. I want it myself, old boy.
0: Erica, you shouldn't let either of them have it. It's highly dangerous. Top Top of of the the class. class.
2: Don't tease him, you two. He does speak English.
0: Highly dangerous. Oh, shut up. (laughs) Now that is English. Chris can't shoot straight anyway. Can't I? What about this? Christopher, don't be disgusted. It's a jolly fine one. Take it away, Chris, and go and wash your hands. I washed them before lunch. What was I
2: tell you? Okay.
0: sergeant tells me you ran out of petrol, Erica. Yes, I... I had to push her for miles. Haven't they caught him yet?
2: No, not yet. It's only a matter of time, of course. Of course, my dear Watson. Uh, is your tooth all right, Stanley? Shall I have your potatoes mashed with milk? It's all right. Don't fuss,
0: Erica. It really depends how much money he has. That's often a big factor in cases like this. Big what? Factor. Never heard of him. Richard.
2: How much did he have on him?
1: Oh, please think about three shillings. That our fellow solicitor took two or three pounds
0: in advance.
2: Did you wash your hands, Christopher? Yes, Erica. Then sit down and get on with your lunch.
0: Directly he spent those last three shillings. It looks to me as if he's caught like a rat in a trap. What was I tell you, Christopher? Okay. Guns are the best things for rats. Don't be such a swank. The rat was probably dead when you shot it. Wasn't it? It was racing across the backyard. If I could go and look for this chap with my gun, I could have a pot at him. Couldn't I, Father? Oh, Christopher, don't talk so much. What's the matter with you? Nothing. I wonder what he'll buy with his last three shillings. Food, of course. I know that. I meant what kind of food? Sausages. The best thing will be chocolate. It has very good staying power. Suppose he didn't dare go into a shop to get food. Then I'm afraid he'll be very hungry. And that, of course, may force him to come back.
1: Unless he faints of hunger and dies in the field. With rooks pecking at his eyes.
0: Inspector Marshbanks on the fell view. Perhaps there's some news. Yes, Inspector? No news at all. Well, there must be some sort of clue. Yes, I see. Good. All right, I'll come along presently. Let me know, won't you, if anything turns up?
1: Yes.
2: Have
0: they caught him yet? No, not yet. You don't think much of our police force. They want some young blood, don't they, Father? I'll oh, give you young blood? If they don't find him, will you get the sack, Father? Shouldn't all well, the bros. I don't think he's got much chance, though. The inspector tells me that he only had a couple tea. To or me. Or I shan't be a minute. All the roads are circles i last last long. Jolly
1: exciting, isn't it? Okay, that's Young and Innocent. Released in the UK November 1937. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock, of course. Starring Nova Pilbeam, Derek DeMarnay, Percy Marmont, Edward Rigby and Basil Radford. Probably the most recognisable face out of all of those. The synopsis, and I apologise for this because I've lifted this from somewhere on the internet. And it starts off with, When normal guy, Robert Tisdall. <laughs> 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 when normal guy, Robert Tisdall, discovers the body of actress Christine Clay washed up on shore, he is arrested for a murder. Having no confidence in the barrister assigned to him, Tisdall escapes from the police station and ends up hitching a ride with the police chief's daughter, Erica Burgoyne. After being spotted together, the two are assumed to be in league together and have no choice but to cooperate in order to uncover the real killer. That sums it up nicely. Now... Mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock, first thing you think of, usually most people, it's The Birds, Psycho, Rear Window, North by Northwest, those kind of things. You know, the big Hollywood blockbusters earned him the title of the Master of Suspense. We all know that. For those that know something of the earlier british output most will be aware i'm assuming of the 39 steps and sabotage and the lady vanishes guys i think they're the three
0: i think so yeah, yeah. yeah. More, more than the others yeah
1: possibly the the first version of the man who knew too much you know there's there's a only a core three or four you know i mean there's there's actually it's, it's probably i worked this out i think this is his 22nd full-length okay. feature movie so it, you know and he's still got four or five before he goes over to hollywood so there's a lot of British output that most people aren't aware of. You know, I'm, I'm just being general here, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And I'm guilty of that myself because um, for someone that hosts a podcast about British movies, I've seen very few of the early British stuff um, pre-Hollywood. And, you know, I've, I've got the Blu-ray of this and it's been sitting on my shelf for about four or five years. And I only watched it. This is the first time. It was the first time watched. So I only watched it the other night. So, before we start, I'm going to ask both of you, is this a similar sort of situation for you? I mean, was this a first-time watch, but also, are the early British Hitchcocks relegated in favour of the Hollywood stuff? I'm I'm pretty sure Mel's going to probably say she's watched a lot of the early British stuff here, but...
0: I I have, (laughs) yes. (laughs) I have. I I first saw this... Oh, gosh... Um... Yeah, it must be nearly forty years ago now. I remember it was—I was a, t- was a teenager—and it was during school holidays, and they were—they sh- showed this and the lady vanishes as a sort of afternoon during school holidays film. They may have shown Thirty Nine Steps, it. So they definitely showed this and the lady vanishes, mm. and I'd not heard of this one. Um, so I have seen it, and I think it's really good. I think it's—it's yeah. it's kind of. Got hidden away because it's it's stuck between Sabotage and The Lady Vanishes, mm. and it comes after Man I Knew Too Much and the Thirty Nine Steps. Uh, it precedes the uh, it precedes Jamaica, in which you know we prefer to gloss over. I think as a hit. <laughs> <as a, laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I love it. And, and I've seen some of the early ones. Obviously, Blackmail, which is, oh, I mean, if you haven't seen Blackmail, is magnificent. Yeah. And and another one that I love, which I think came immediately after Blackmail, which is Murder with Herbert Marshall. That's also an excellent film as well. Yeah. first time I saw it, I was a bit ho-hum. Oh, and the second time, I thought, no, this is really good. Um, so, yeah, I have seen quite a lot of this, this 30s output.
1: What about you, Daniel? I mean, have you got any preference to pre-Hollywood or post-Hollywood or have have you seen this before that was the other question
2: uh yeah no uh this was my first time seeing Mm. this uh I've seen very little uh of the early Hitchcock I mean I've seen The Lodger I've seen Mm. The 39 Steps I've seen The Man Who Knew Too Much I've seen um Lady Vanishes so yeah basically just the big ones right Mm. and the thing is as well that I think partially it's just down to my history as like a physical media collector Mm -hmm. because when i was starting to really get into cinema like at the height of the dvd craze uh the big hollywood productions you know they came in really nice (laughs) editions with commentary (laughs) tracks and you know like really nice copies like you you really got an education from them of course whilst the british stuff I mean, it turned out it is all in copyright. Though even on the Wikipedia page for Young and Innocent, it says that it is frequently bootlegged. Yes, and so mm. y- I, you would get all sorts of like ratty editions of the, the, <laughs> the, the '30s Hitchcock stuff, and very often like with such bad quality, no subtitles whatsoever. Which, as a non-native English speaker, I do appreciate having subtitles, <laughs> um, especially with you know. The early sound era where people are not that easily uh, uh, understood. Oh, yes. um, but yeah, so I think it, it, uh, it was uh, mostly down to that, that just sort of there's not enough of a push uh, for early um, British Hitchcock. And, you know, I'm sure not all of those movies are great, uh, but then not all of his Hollywood movies are great either. That's true. Really.
1: That's true. Uh, true. <laughs>
2: yeah. but this yeah, one i really good. liked i think it does suffer perhaps a bit from being another you know man on the run uh picture uh and so so you immediately compare it with the 39 steps which is uh you know more dramatic this is is has sort of almost more of a matinee feel to it it's a very lighthearted yeah. movie in a way despite the murder uh <laughs> but yeah i thought it was a delight <laughs>
1: It's, it's there's a lot of Hitchcock tropes evident in this, you know, um, wrong man on the run, mistrust of police, you know, all those themes that are quite evident in a lot of the films. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. You said the lodger there that only came to my attention when I think the BFI or somebody did a massive restoration of it with a new soundtrack about 10 years ago, but it been longer than that, uh, which was one of the silent ones, wasn't it? I think it was 27, 28, something like that. Yeah. Um, And as I say, I've got the Blu-ray copy. I think it's Network. I think it's a Network edition of the Blu-ray. But I'm going to confess to both of you now, even though that copy has been sitting on my shelf for four or five years, I couldn't be asked to get up and go and get it. (laughs) (laughs) So, like Daniel, I watched it on BritBox. Um, I'm urging anybody that's listening to watch it on Talking Pictures TV when it's screened over the next couple of days. (laughs) Because it's going to be so much better. Um, But I mentioned this to Daniel off air. There was a disclaimer. We're to. Gonna, gonna, it's the elephant in the room. We've got to talk about this briefly before we go into it in its place in the movie. Okay, guys. Um, what happens? On the screen, just before... Um, well, it's Bombardier Billy Wells's predecessor, actually, appears yeah. with a rank gong. It's not actually Bombardier Billy Wells, because I think he was 46 to fifty six or something. So
0: Okay, so he was later than that. Yeah, whoever whoever
1: the whoever the rank gombing is at the time. Uh, a disclaimer turned up and I've written it down just to let you guys know because Daniel would have seen it, but Mel you wouldn't have done. It no. said it said this drama reflects the attitudes of its time and includes a blackface musical performance that may affect. Okay, so that's quite commonplace now guys. I think that's become part and parcel of a lot of old movies now. Talking Pictures T V put up similar sort of messages. I I just briefly want to hear your thoughts about this whole subject of disclaimers and more importantly the sort of censorship side of things because I, for one, I'm really pleased that these pieces of information come up before a movie Um, because I'm sure that, you know, you might agree, I don't know, yes it was wrong then, yes it's wrong now but I don't think I'd like to see these classic movies cut or censored or even consigned to the vaults, you know. Um, We can't pretend that this didn't happen you know blackface was happening until quite recently in certain movies and certain tv shows you know and i'd much rather that you know our generation now is given the opportunity to continue to see the movies and, and to make their own opinions from now on i mean are you guys quite happy with that sort of disclaimer sort of business that's going on now
2: i i think that yeah certainly for disclaimers because uh, uh, there's all sorts of reasons that you might want to watch a film and so if, for instance, you are watching a film for research into like the social history of the time, then actually it would be quite useful um, to have evidence of that. Mm. Uh, if you are watching something for pure entertainment and there are certain things that upset you, I think you're well within your right to be like, okay, I'm not watching that. You know, it's it's not forbidding anyone from watching anything. No, no. It's just giving you a heads up. You know, in the same way that uh, on newscasts you would have uh, a disclaimer before certain items saying, "Hey, this may contain some shocking images," and so you knew yes. to look away. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I I, I think I, I totally agree with Daniel, um, especially in this film, without giving away too much of the plot. Um, and. <laughs> The fact that you can't see the guy's face is germane to the plot. Now, Mm. obviously, if they were doing that these days, they would do it in a different way. They'd all be wearing masks or something. You know, they would do it in a different way. But, you know, it's 1936. I mean, goodness knows. Hollywood films, and even what there's, they're littered with things that absolutely nowadays are an absolute no-no, much more than British <laughs> films. But we need, I think, if you just tell people this is what we're dealing with, I think, um, and it was at the time perfectly acceptable. Yeah. I agree. I think it's fine. Uh, I think the disclaimer is needed. Um, because also you need to – I think it needs to be clear that the broadcaster is not saying, I agree with this. The broadcaster is saying this is what was happening in 1937 and in the world of entertainment. I mean, as you say, Scott, you know, Mm -hmm. we're old enough to remember – um, you know, when the black and white minstrels were yeah. primetime entertainment.
1: Yeah. It was, it was happening even more recently than that in certain movies. I mean, but going back a little bit, the prime example is Mickey Rooney in, in breakfast at Tiffany's and all those sort of things that we can, <laughs> yes. we can cite now, but I'm glad we're talking from the same hymn sheet here that mm. it's, it's, I'd rather there was a disclaimer put out uh, and you make your own decision. Um, because mm-hmm. I don't want my daughter, my grandkids, to be denied the chance to see an 1937 Alfred Hitchcock movie, just because there is something that, okay, like we said, it was wrong then, it's wrong now, but let's not ignore it. It happened. Let's not brush it no, under yeah. the carpet. It happened. It was part of. It was part of everyday movie going. It was part of everyday entertainment back then. So
2: I, I, I do agree with you, Scott. But I also think we should point out that if we're talking about film preservation and about being able to see things from the 30s from the 40s actually this you know the the question of like whether offensive movies should be censored whether offensive movies should be put out of circulation it's the most sensational aspect of it and it's the one that gets the most press because it's the easiest to get people riled up about Mm -hmm. and get people arguing. But it's actually not the main problem because the main problem is the absolutely terrible state that film preservation is in, how much the studios do not care and the amount of movies that have been lost and will continue to be lost simply because there isn't an economic incentive to keep them in, in mm. circulation.
1: Yeah, we're, we're lucky. You, you touched on this earlier, Daniel, that the original negative is preserved in the vaults of the BFI of this movie, mm. which is why we've got those wonderful Blu-ray copies and, you know, the, mm. the you know the, the restored versions that we see now. Sorry, Mel, you were going to jump in there.
0: No, I was just going to say, and and this is also another facet of Talking Pictures TV with their sister company, Renown Pictures, yeah, um, and that's that was the the sort of that came before talking pictures. Mm. And renown has um, bought, preserved, restored a number of films that you know are they are they worthy of of being kept in terms of their artistic contribution? That's a question. But if we if we don't have them available to us, we can't make that assessment. And some yeah. of the... The A- British movies they're not important films, but they are film, they are creative output, and they say something about the times. and I think they, they are worthy of, of restoration and preservation.
1: Who knows what's going to be important in 50 years' time? bbc made that mistake you know with the wiping of the videotapes oh god yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i heard that, that was an audible sigh there daniel
2: <laughs> yeah no that was like the, when i first learned about that because yeah i think uh, most people's first reference point is old doctor who but Thank then you, you. start to think about yep. like oh god all of the peter cook and dudley moore stuff that's yeah. just gone
1: But also, like, important historical documents like the BBC's coverage of Apollo 11 landing on the moon or... Did did they wipe that? Yeah, there's literally about 10 minutes of it, I think. There's a little bit of James Burke and Patrick Moore, you know. um, The the coverage of JFK's assassination, you know. We we always see Walter Cronkite on NBC Mm. or ABC or whatever announcing the death of President Kennedy. But there's no record of JFK's assassination. The only thing they always show is that episode that was screened that night of that was the week that was the David Frost thing Um Millicent Martin sings a song about the president and or it might be the night after and again Daniel it was also the same day the first um, edition of Doctor Who was screened wasn't it I think that Kennedy was assassinated um
0: that's
2: even people usually go for like the beatles coming to america is like the big thing that happened at the same time as jfk but i think we should change that for like doctor who exactly
1: (laughs) exactly well are you saying that all early editions of top of the pops pre sort of 69 there's not many of those Mm -hmm. left so there's huge document of stones and yeah. beetles and all those 60s groups just just lost forever
2: yeah absolutely stuff that at the time they would just think well this is for nonsense for children and nobody's yes. going to care about this five yeah. years yeah and, and
1: videotape was expensive which was the whole yeah. reasoning yeah. behind it you know uh nobody thought of the historical aspect so um Going back to what we were saying, you know, who knows what is valuable, who knows what is going to be viewed in fifty years' time? You know there could be somebody in this movie tucked away in the cast list that is the great 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 grandfather of somebody in fifty years' time that turns out to be Ooh. somebody really important. We don't know you know I'm thinking <laughs> I was just thinking Tony, <laughs> Tony Boove and sherry Blair, you know that. that is gonna yeah. be. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that was another twenty episodes of the original till Death us do part, you know in existence mm. so anyway weird' weird sort of you know die a little bit here um I've written notes this is very unique for me on any podcast I've written notes in any way, shape, or form because mainly because of the company with me this evening, and I've got to actually look like I know what I'm talking about for a start um, right. <laughs> <laughs> so so after that disclaimer. excuse me after that disclaimer and you know the rank gonman comes in the first thing you notice is a galmont production filmed at the legendary pinewood Studios. so we don't get much more british than this it's alfred hitchcock's 22nd movie that was the note i made i'll work this out i had a quick look at imdb and incredibly i don't know if you notice this guys nova pillbeam's name is above the title Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah alone before derek damani's yeah and and that's a kind of reverse of if you think about the 30 in the context of the 39 steps you know the story is is Robert Donat's story mm. it is the hunted man's story yeah you think about north by northwest Cary grants story is the hunted man's story yep. this is actually the story of Derek Demani trying to to clear his name but yeah nova pilby who was being built up as a big star right up there on the top oh and by the way some bloke called Derek underneath. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she does steal and the show we, we'll talk about that you yeah
2: know. the film the film bears that out right it's much more her story than his at the end yeah. of the day and it's yeah, an incredible character it was,
0: mm. yeah it was written it was fleshed out i think for her because I think at the time they were trying to build her up to be a, a big star.
1: Well, well she appeared in *The Man Who Knew Too Much*. She was the child actress. Do you know she she's was the daughter? Yeah, that's right. She's yeah. only seventeen when she's filmed this. Yeah. Incredible mature performance from a seventeen-year-old actress. I think you know it's, it's evident from the start. You wouldn't think that this was a teenager performing this role.
2: No. What 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 I also thought um, was uh, looking at the credits, I noticed that you know it's an adaptation of a of a novel by Josephine Tay, mm. uh, whom I whom I mm-hmm. haven't read, uh, but my wife uh, really enjoyed the one book she read by her. You know, she mm. was a, a a detective fiction writer, mm-hmm. um, and so I immediately thought, well, you know, Hitchcock certainly has a lot of juicy roles for female actors, but usually they're not as plucky they're not as much uh you know taking up attention taking up like the the, the spotlight as uh, nova Pilbeam is in this so i thought like oh is is this maybe because it's an adaptation of a book by a woman uh but then i checked out the wikipedia and actually in the original novel uh all of this is sort of a subplot and they yeah. expanded uh, day expanded uh, to be uh the, the the main thrust of the movie
1: I did a bit of of research, which is, again, very rare for me on this podcast (laughs) or any podcast. Basically, I'll I'll read this out to you. Alfred Hitchcock's, by now regular screenwriter Charles Bennett, had the main hand in drastically reshaping the source novel, Josephine Taine's A Shilling for Candles, written in the year before, 1936. He completely restructured a successful but fairly run-of-the-mill whodunit into an altogether more dynamic, entertaining beast. Um and basically what happened you know as this the, the whole plot and, and the thing was restructured and rechanged and what this article says as it goes further down um they paid for the rights to Josephine Tay for the movie you know, to adapt into this particular movie. But it was completely different to the book. It was so different. It says here, it begs the question, why bother to pay for the film rights to a property in the first place if you plan to alter it beyond all recognition? Mm. They might as well have saved the money and ensured their screen was sufficiently disguised to accusations of plagiarism. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it, the source novel is there, it's evident. But I think, as you say, Daniel, it's been tweaked to make it a Nova Pillbeam story rather than you know your Robert Donat your, your Cary Grant type man on the run thing even though I, I don't know we'll go into the tropes as well at some point but that is highly evident Nova Pilbem is the star of this Is this movie
0: mm.
1: I'm going to go through something slightly different I'm, I'm not going to go through scene by scene but I'm going to give you a few prompts guys to you just read the synopsis I mean the opening scene instantly for me I thought this is a Hitchcock um the, the thing that got me, it's the argument, right? you got to re- mm-hmm. go right back to the first scene, it's the argument between the actress who's eventually murdered and her husband and did you notice obviously the use of light and shadows and stuff like that but how fluid the camera was, it was moving about and it was focusing on the foreground, the background and, and it, it sort of gave me um sort of like feelings of like rope from 1940, mm-hmm. whatever it was, where the camera's always moving in ropes to give it that, you know, that one shot effect and I thought, i'm in for something special here it's not going to be a restayed 1937 british thriller here you know the, the, alfred hitchcock's fingerprints were all over the first scene
0: yeah it, it, and also the fluidity of the camera reminded me a little bit and of course it's obvious because there's a crate a huge crane shot of, if you watch notorious
1: yes where the key
0: Ted, was the photographer there and there was a real fluidity of the camera. And, of course, Bernard Knowles was a photographer here, and he himself was a film director. So I think there is a – there's definitely – whereas John Ford, you know, that the famous thing about John Ford, you to just plonk the camera down and let yeah. the actors walk in front of it. Yep. Hitchcock takes the the camera. He was very much a – technical director and he was famous for just you know you just get on with it and I'll I'll move with you <laughs> and I think you're right that is very much to me that's a signature exactly maybe that was the first time it was so obvious thinking his yeah. other films
2: that, that that's really funny actually because just today completely unrelated to this I was reading up on uh, Richard Widmark or Widmark you know mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. A, the the great uh, noir and western star, Mm. and he gave an interview very late into his life where he complained that directors had become too enamored of the camera and of moving the Mm. camera about, and that uh, in his days, you know, John Ford, he didn't move the camera, he moved actors. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess he has uh, Hitchcock to blame.
1: <laughs> John, John Ford relied a lot on Moment Valley as well to tell his story. You know, he had the backgrounds rather than the uh, yeah,
0: that's uh, true. Than The
1: actors to, to help him along there. He had the perfect backdrop. Um, so we get this argument at the beginning. And then, you know, the, the scene changes to this washed up body on the shore. And our hero, Robert Tisdall, Derek DeMarnay, just happens to be walking along, recognises her. He recognises her immediately, you know, this dead body, and he runs for help, Uh, and lo and behold, you know, there's a a crowd that goes, sorry, Well, as he runs off, two, two women appear, and because he's run off, they automatically assume that he is the guilty party once the police arrive, so it kicks in this whole mistaken identity or wrong man accused Hitchcock trope, which, you know as you said Mel as you said Daniel 39 steps North by northwest. the wrong man there's probably another three or four that I can't think of off the top of my head um, Frenzy I was just about to say the the crowd scene at the beach reminded me of the opening scene of Frenzy it, yeah
0: yeah and that was the body washing up on the Thames wasn't yeah.
1: it yeah it's mm-hmm. it's incredible that you know for people that know Hitchcock early and later you know in his career He not necessarily replicates scenes, but you know, there's certain things, there are certain things that are repeated along. I've got a couple more coming up as well that I noticed that I didn't use for, you know, I didn't find through research. It was just personal observations. I'm thinking, I'm sure he's used that somewhere else. And, you know, there are definite, (laughs) definite indications of it. Um, We moved to the police station. He's been arrested because he's been accused, okay? Um, and we get this incredible scene where Nova Pilby we get introduced to Nova Pilbeam. I, mean, I don't know if this was common practice in 19, uh, 1937, but does the daughter of the chief constable have free reign in a police station? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought that. And also um, the chief constable, it's obviously a very tiny county where the chief constable is quite so hands-on. I mean, <laughs> just, he sounds like he doesn't wear a uniform, yeah. which chief constables, I think, tend to. Um, and he's just so hands on, you know, you just everybody. Oh, you're the chief constable. Hello. It's like, <laughs> I mean, that's like I, I, the most senior <laughs> person.
2: I think we could almost like put this down to um, sexism working for the character. Mm-hmm. If, if you will, because it's just sort of like, well, it's just the constable's daughter, you know, yeah. she's, she's running about like the kid she is, you know.
0: Yeah, she she, she won't do no harm. Yeah, yeah.
1: The, the most. Biz- and
0: then, and she immediately, as soon as she arrives, she immediately takes over. Camera goes to the door, in she comes. Yes. And, and then, right, right, come on, I'll sort it. He's fainted. Let me sort it out. And as you say, it's a 17-year-old girl.
1: I don't know about you. I know a little bit about first aid. Okay, but this guy has fainted because isn't it revealed to him that he's actually inherited some of the money from the deceased actress that's been washed up on the shore? Is that what's revealed to him? He's that a time?
0: beneficiary of her, yes. I can't remember if that's the,
1: the, the, what makes I, him I, faint. It is. I'm sure it is. It's mm. <laughs> And, and
2: that whole scene also has this good cop bad cop dynamic which of course is a terrible cliche now mm-hmm. but I actually thought like have I ever seen any piece of media before this that that's used true true.
1: Yeah, that's true.
2: I mean there probably must be but I can't think of anything.
1: I mean as we go into the movie I mean the old Alfred Hitchcock Sort of uh, mistrust of police and making them to be sort of like bumbling fools is quite evident as we go through because mm. we we all know that story, don't we, about him being sent to the police station as a child by his father. That's right. You
0: note from his dad. Yeah. yeah,
1: I can't remember what he did, but his dad sent him to the police station. The police uh, with a letter, wasn't it? That he'd done something mm. wrong.
0: Yeah, he sent him a note. And saying, This is what happens to little boys who are bad, and we got locked up. Was it overnight? Certainly no, it was, it was
1: literally got- an hour or something. It wasn't <laughs> like. It. And, and, and that's reflected in a lot of, I was going to say early Hitchcock, but quite a lot of the latter Hitchcock stuff as well.
2: Absolutely. There's, there's some really interesting stuff uh, along those lines here. And also just uh, the, the very beginning of it. The very fact that he gets arrested. I mean, what's what's the
1: rationale here? You know, just because yeah. he was running away—that's that literally it's it, isn't it? Yeah, but he was going girls. to get the police.
0: Yeah. two two girls saw him run away. Two young women saw him run away, so he got arrested. Now, no, it's before DNA testing and all the rest <laughs> of it. But flipping heck! I mean, there's yeah. there's, there's zero rationale. I mean. You know, a, a solicitor would have been all over that like a rash.
1: Not oh, his but solicitor. Not this solicitor all that we are going <laughs> yeah. about to meet. Just before we meet the solicitor, I mean, I'm no expert on first aid, but I've done a few courses in my time. But I don't think. Slapping somebody around the face is the perfect way of reviving somebody <laughs> from a, a fainting spell. I, I was told it was like let them lie down, let the blood rush to their head, or whatever. But pinching them in the ears and slapping them around the face is, is marvelous It's it's just a, a great example of of the dominance of Nova Pilbeam throughout this movie, mm-hmm. isn't it? That she's just completely taking control of this situation. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's exactly. let's go back to the lawyer then. The lawyer turns up, the barrister. Um, totally incompetent from the mm. start and there's this great sort of foreshadowing of him spilling tea on his glasses mm. which proves to be very important literally a few minutes later mm. uh very very clever you, you know you, it's the old Chekhov's gun thing isn't it if you're going to show something in the first scene make sure you make you know we make use of it mm. a couple of a couple of chapters later or whatever. I also
2: like that he's he's both incompetent and extremely greedy (laughs) they could have have gone for one of the two but no it's both of them
1: (laughs) this is the thing as well because money plays an important part um later on in the film you know when they're trying to work out like the forensic side of things about you know what would somebody do if they have money what would they spend it on they're talking about you know he'd buy food or you know it's when the petrol thing Mm. is paid for um it's at this point there's another theme introduced guys and i i sort of thinking back on it yes this actually does happen it's a bit of like blindness it's not seeing things you'll know what i mean as we go further along okay because obviously there's there's the solicitor that's reliant on his spectacles okay we get to see alfred hitchcock uh 14 minutes in outside the courtroom or something, and he and he misses everything that's going on because he's busy fiddling with his camera. Okay. There's a bit a couple seconds after that where a hero hides himself on the running board of the car and nobody spots him. (laughs) I'm gonna elaborate on that, or perhaps you can pick up on this as we go through, but I think that's another Mm -hmm. theme apart from the wrong man on the run. And, and you know, the bumbling police officer. I think there's a theme of not actually witnessing anything here because the women mm. on the beach didn't actually witness it exactly oh, going true. on.
0: Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Because that, that whole glasses thing I saw in a different, again, a different way because this mm. is something that comes up again. But I noticed it in two of Hitchcock's Hollywood films where the female protagonist mm-hmm. has to wear glasses and when they're deprived of their glass, and their glasses actually are significant. So like in Suspicion, yes. when we first see Joan Fontaine, she's wearing the glasses, and so Cary Grant can't believe it's the same woman on yeah. the what, taming the horse. But then later she's given a newspaper to read because it's quite important, and she can't find her glasses. Then in Spellbound, Ingrid Bergman can't read without her glasses. Mm. And, and it's almost like you take away that. So first of all, you make them vulnerable, and I mean it's quite fun if you need glasses to read and you haven't got them then you know, and then you have to kind of put things you know right in front of you know push them back as far away from your face as possible, but also yeah, it is um. It is a a blindness, because if you don't get your glasses, you'll miss this really important plot point. Mm. And and so I felt that I I wondered if there was some foreshadowing of that. Of course, what happens, as we all know, is that uh, he nicks the guy's glasses. Yes. To to make a Clark Kent kind of escape. Nobody will (laughs) recognise me with glasses (laughs) on.
1: (laughs) But also it culminates in the ultimate in... Sort of like blindness or, or sort of ocular disability with a guy with the two eyes. You know, we've got all of this coming mm-hmm. up at some point. It, I don't and, know. And, and it all
2: works. It all works as well for the conceit of the film, right? It works for a man on the run film because people need to be blind a to not see the truth, so he yeah. has to keep on the run, and b not to catch him.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, the chances of escaping from a courtroom in real life, yes, oh, <laughs> pretty you know they're
1: nil <laughs> let's be frank <laughs> it's not so much the escaping from the courtroom as as i sort of hinted earlier it's the fact that as as nova pillbeam's driving away with you know friends of her father you know other police officers and and we see them driving along we, we don't even know that he's hiding on the running board of the car
0: yeah it's
1: true so mm-hmm. how why did how did they miss him Mm-hmm. it's this blindness thing i think suddenly became very obvious to me after a couple of instances of it and, I'm, and, it's, and i was looking out for more examples of it but then suddenly the police become very aware a little later on when he throws the bit of paper out the window in the old mill
0: yes i was like oh my god <laughs> that, that i found slightly unbelievable to be honest but they go to the mill and go oh look look and it's like really that could have been anything that could have been I, a I, mouse <laughs>
2: I think a lot of the plot doesn't stand up to much scrutiny, and I think that would be a bigger problem if this had a more serious tone.
0: Mm. But because
2: it is so frothy and light, you just kind of go with it.
0: Yeah, it is, and it does. It bounces along very quickly. Very, I mean, it is 80 minutes, and yeah. and it, it just bounces along quickly. It has a nice tone. It's not dark in any way, even though it's about someone who's been murdered.
1: I, I sort of saw it as 39 Steps Light. It was, mm. it, it, it's, it's the matinee version of 39 Steps.
0: Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, Sabotage, which then comes between the two. I mean, that Sabotage is really dark.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> that's it's how...
0: really dark. And then, then we have a bit of light, light relief. And then somehow The Lady Vanishes, which I think comes next, Somewhere is, is somewhere in between. It's also quite light and frothy, but... It is dark as well because it, you know, it presages you know the Nazis as the bad guys, although yeah. they're Nazis. I mean,
2: well, it is also just it, it, it's a tragedy about two men who can't find the cricket results. You know.
0: Yes. Just
1: <laughs> just, just about to say, I'm not going to focus on carrying on chronologically, you know, scene by scene with this movie because. Mel's just mentioned The Lady Vanishes, and you've just mentioned the cricket results. Charters and Caldicott, we've got Basil Radford coming up at any minute yeah. in this movie as well. You know, possibly the most famous face out of anybody in this movie. I don't know about you, I'm always fascinated by that scar on his cheek.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Mm. Is, is there a story behind that? Is it a duelling scar? Is it a war wound? Does anybody actually know? I
0: I don't know. I, I always assumed maybe he was in the services as yeah. the First World War, but... I don't know because it's quite a problem because other actors had scars that they covered up yeah um, I mean mainly Hollywood actors like Carol Lombard and Van Johnson they had scars yeah. from car accident or motorbike accidents yeah. and, and they covered them up but yeah Basil Rafford does nothing to cover his
1: and, and you're right in saying that Basil Rafford brings a certain bit of levity to this this is what makes it lighter than some of the darker mm. movies than Hitchcock um, has done previously and will do in the future prior to this we get the the thing at tom's hat diner you know you get the quite comical fight and it's the whole reveal about will will the china mender you know all this sort of rubbish mm-hmm. and but the basil radford scene where they're at the house we, we we spoke about this literally before we came on air we were spoken about the um the garden gnome there's a scene mm-hmm. with the, well do they call it don't call it a gnome what do they call it a dwarf do they, did they actually name it they call it a, a, a garden dwarf or something. It's not a gnome. It's not known as a garden no And it's just the fact that he brings it as a present to a child's birthday party, and he's yes. <laughs> in the garden. Uh, and, the, and the lady of the house says, "Oh, that will go quite well with the others we've got there. We've got something quite similar."
2: Yeah, <laughs> and, that whole that 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 whole scene is amazing because it's like it's it's a completely different kind of Hitchcock horror, but a very real one, which is you know the. The feeling of you're at a party, you'd like convinced yourself and perhaps your significant other, look, we'll just go, we'll mm-hmm. stay for 15 minutes, we'll <laughs> yeah. say hello to everyone, we'll <laughs> say goodbye, but you can't get out. And is, that is such a relatable thing. It, it's a seventy sitcom. Usually sick it's not on... because you're wanted for murder and you have to
1: run away, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, still. It's a 70s sitcom plot, isn't it? It's just yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> almost like The Good Life or something. But yeah, <laughs> And then there's this marvelous thing about him trying to make up a name, and it's this Beechcroft Manningtree.
0: And then, then he then he gets it wrong and says Beechtree
1: Manningcroft. And 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 like you said, Daniel, also, this is where the element of like the suspense thing comes in that Hitchcock was famous for, because it's like the Lady of the House is suddenly realizing that something is not quite right here. Yeah. But it's not done in a heavy way, is it? It's done very light-hearted. You know, if this yeah. was notorious or suspicion, you, you know, the scene with the key and notorious or wherever it may be, it's very sort of like intense that there's the element that somebody's going to be found out at any point. You're not too worried if they're going to get found out or not at this point, are you? Because it's done quite in a light manner.
0: Yeah, And I think because the auntie doesn't, I think the auntie just thinks, ah, oh, she's got a boyfriend. I wonder if he's a suitable boyfriend. <laughs> Whereas Uncle Basil Radford is like, oh bless him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll let you get away. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
0: Whereas Auntie is suspicious, but I think she's she's suspicious for her niece's honour as much as anything else. So yeah, she's she's not thinking, hmm, I wonder if that's an escape murderer she's got with.
1: <laughs> <you know. laughs> yeah, because there's none of this um sort of reveal in like newspapers or something you know, have you seen this man you know we haven't seen any of that sort of thing um so it's just quite a normal situation that nova pillbeams turned up for is it it's her niece's uh birthday party yeah and, and that's just reminded me can we just go back a little bit to the dinner scene
0: <laughs> with the kids yeah
1: I'll take it. They're her brothers. Am I right? I can't. Yes, remember. yes. No.
0: She's the oldest of five children, and the others is it five? Yeah, mm. and the others are all boys.
2: Marvelous. I, I found that scene actually quite brilliant, and maybe I'm mm. overanalyzing a bit here. But mm. the thing is that you know it really gives you a bit of character of mm. Erica. You know, <laughs> she is this girl who you know has grown up in this household just seething with testosterone you know she has all these (laughs) brothers she doesn't seem to have a mother i guess her father is a widower you know so she's completely at ease she knows how to deal with men and Mm. then later on the scene in the calf which you know for a 17 year old or whatever she's supposed to be in the movie Mm. but she's certainly not supposed to be much older than that you know in 1937 to come into such a, you know, male environment. Uh, yeah. it, it, for For a lot of women, it would be very intimidating and, and quite scary. But she is absolutely prepared for it because she's been preparing for the life, basically.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. And she gives as good as she gets when she gets it. Yeah, so true. And when when the fight starts out, she's pleased, but not so much.
2: Yeah, she doesn't faint, you know. She doesn't yeah. shriek.
1: Well, she doesn't yeah. faint like our hero did when he found out that he'd <laughs> inherited all the money. Yeah. That's for sure.
2: So <laughs> they didn't. Nobody told her that she had inherited a fortune. So. yeah, <laughs> but
0: there's
1: there's a good example of what you're saying, though, guys. When she goes into the cafe, and it's just like, you know, I'll have a tea and a piece of cake, and the tea is served to her in a mug. And she's not phased by the fact that it's this big, heavy, like, you know, trucker's mug or whatever. And she just sits at the counter and she's like swinging on the mug. She goes, right, well, what's going on here? I need to know what I need to know. She just goes straight into yeah. it, confident as anything. And, and even when the fight is just going on, she's just, yeah, she's just out of the way. She's just totally in control. And... I absolutely adore Nova Pillbeam in this movie mm. she's fantastic Abs- I, can't, I can't say that enough you know it's just, she is the hero of this the, the story the whole focus of it is nothing to do you know with the man done wrong story it's Nova Pilbeam's all the way through um, after we've finished with the beach tree Manningcroft or whatever <laughs> <laughs> um, we get this wonderful model shot of a railway yard yes yes (laughs) which is absolutely wonderful you know you're watching the trains going by and the car going up and it's okay until it zooms in on the car and and the two characters where it's blindingly obvious that he is a model you know (laughs)
0: um
1: we come back to that a little bit later because they use that in the chase sequence but we end up at, at nobby's lodging house yeah again a little bit of comic relief. It's mistaken, well, not mistaken identity, but just missing, you know, what, what's, what's his name? Is the Chinamender, isn't it? Is it Mick? No, Will. Will, Will Chinamender. China China China. China. yeah. um, we get this whole scene that uh, our hero falls asleep while he's waiting for for Will to turn up at this notorious lodging house and then he breaks yeah. the mug, you know, and he thinks mm-hmm. it's some sort of scam going on. And. Um,
2: I, I do think that, like, Robert is quite stupid in this scene because he the, the, just going, yeah, no, I'm a mate of his when he hasn't seen him. Yeah. Like, he could come up with a plausible thing of like, oh, my brother's a mate of his and he said to look him up or yeah. something like that. Just mm. something so that somebody will point him at old Will instead of him just like walking around you know, <laughs> yes. a, a room that has like 20, 30 people in it going, "Oh, you, Will?
0: Because, and that, that's interesting you say that, Daniel, about him being a bit stupid because that's the one thing she can't do. It's the one thing Erica can't do for him. It's the one mm. place she can't go. She went into the truck stop for him.
1: True, um, yeah. Taking
0: a risk but she can't go to this old man's DOS house because she wouldn't be let in the door. And and so, yeah, when he has to do something by himself.
1: It just highlights the difference, doesn't it, between them. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. We get get a wonderful car chase. The model scenes like kick in now, you know, (laughs) it's it's not that bad. There's certain parts of it where it's like, oh my God, this is like watching an episode of Thomas the Tank Engine, you know. Yes. Um, (laughs) But it just it adds to the charm. It's nineteen thirty seven, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean car chases before bullet and the French <laughs> connection, it's just a different <laughs> world, isn't it? Yeah, car chases it is. before traffic, basically. Can you imagine that? It's,
1: it's Alfred Hitchcock's version of Bullet. This is this is what we get <laughs> now.
0: Moving <It's laughs> through the English countryside in <laughs> Parliament and starting with a with a bit of string. Sorry. <laughs> But even
1: though it is quite comical while we're talking about it, it didn't detract my attention from the whole plot or the whole film. It, it, it's it's there. It's like we said about the blackface thing. It's of its time. it's, it's it, we we just accept it. It was absolutely fantastic. This whole car chase scene, but what we witness immediately after the car chase with the models, is is perhaps where the budget was spent. And I think they go to the old mine. And there's this amazing scene, this special effects, this big budget of the car sinking through the ground yeah. as it, as it enters the old mine that must have taken like days to set up and to yeah. and, and I'm just thinking and, and it's only on screen for like 20 seconds, 30 seconds and I'm thinking oh my god that, that's that's just elevated this above your average sort of like thriller or who done it' it's you know somebody has actually invested a bit of money in this movie here. <laughs>
2: And, and you also uh, the the peril is raised because i still don't quite know what happened to the dog
1: oh that's true because the dog oh, was running along true. and they put him back in the car didn't they yeah that's right into the mine
2: and like yeah as it falls i i, I think the dog does jump out of the car and like land safely in the mine <laughs> but then he's in the mine you know like <laughs> and
0: he never gets rescued
1: Oh, that's even true, know, and yeah. I don't think.
0: Do we see Towser after that?
1: Towser, yes, no, I don't know. Um, I
0: don't
1: know. Right, I'm watching this again. I'm watching this yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I
2: guess it is a darker movie than we
1: thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did Did Hitchcock have something against dogs as well as policemen? I don't know. Yes.
2: oh <laughs> <laughs> Quickly, because this is already like way past uh, uh, the the point that we are talking about uh, in terms of uh, uh, Hitchcock's anti police stance. <laughs> I thought that there was a certain symbolism in the fact that the two constables have uh, have to end up riding with the pigs. Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> oh brilliant Did yeah you... i thought i th- i thought there was some kind of um,
1: subtle,
0: <laughs> not, not, not so subtle commentary in there i, I agree,
1: I agree. <laughs> oh dear we, we we get another dinner scene more soup more huge soup spoons mm-hmm. um rats this time you know introduction of the rats this time eh? oh yeah <laughs> and we find out that nova's father um He's going to resign because of the whole debacle, you know, the whole the whole thing about his daughter being involved with a criminal on the run. So, you know, there's this resignation letter and we get a hero creeping in through the window. And it's at this point we discover that there's a connection to the Grand Hotel because there's a box of matches in the raincoat. By the way, we haven't mentioned... MacGuffins here have we the
0: raincoat and the belt it's yeah. the belt
1: is the MacGuffin, isn't it we haven't you know hitchcock always has the MacGuffin. we haven't mentioned and it's a blindingly obvious MacGuffin, i must say <laughs>
0: yeah yeah
1: sometimes it's I a bit subtle that will
0: has about six coats on and he has to say i don't think how big are these coats that he can wear all the, oh and then then one coat comes up and goes, Ah, there's my raincoat <laughs>
1: Will goes to a, a dress hire shop and he gets the old morning suit. Yes. <laughs> and, and the policeman questions him because he still looks like a tramp, even though he's dressed up. Bless him, you know. Mm. We've got to talk about it. now, ladies and gentlemen. What we're going to do now? We're going into the final sort of ten, fifteen minutes. If you haven't seen the movie, guys, are you happy to spoil the ending here?
0: I am, as long as we tell people this is what we're about to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. Um but even though we are going, to, I think at this point it's blindingly obvious when you see what's going to happen over the next thirty, forty seconds. You you know who the murderer is at this point anyway, so it's not going to be a massive, great shock. Okay, what we get, and this is referring back to the blackface scene that we mentioned at the beginning. Okay, guys, and I think is this the thing that is often referred to as Hitchcock's murderous gaze? there's a there's a certain phrase for this where hitchcock does the thing where he swoops in on on the murderer or the villain or something like that i'm sure there's a phrase that was known as, as the murderous gaze okay it's
2: possible yeah mm.
1: what we get i i'm going to be quite bold here and say it's one of the greatest camera shots in british yeah. movie history
2: yeah it is Absolutely, mm-hmm. the greatest shot in this film. I think there's mm-hmm. no competition. Film. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, but yeah. uh, you know, without wanting to dwell on the on the blackface thing uh, for too long, you know, uh, at the beginning of this episode we talked about it in really general terms. But every mm-hmm. case is individual, right? Uh-huh. And yeah. I feel like young and dan- uh, young and innocent is actually quite um, quite atypical, because usually when there's a blackface scene. Uh, it's a happy musical number. You know, yes, it's, I know it's what like you mean. It's a minstrel number, isn't or it? The, yeah. Oh, the yeah. Marx Brothers black up for one yeah. number and they sing a little song yeah. and they probably, you know, probably with, with good intentions and everything. Yeah. But, like, the thing is that it's both usually extraneous to the plot in the sense mm. that you could cut away from it and nothing would change in the film. And also, it is is usually a sort of endorsement of the practice because our protagonist is doing it you know our protagonist is singing this blackface tune here it's much more complicated because one that there, there, there could never be a version of young and innocent where they cut this bit out because <clears> this <throat> bit, that's what i was gonna say absolutely yeah. It's absolutely essential to the plot, and it is also it also coincides with the best moment of filmmaking yeah, in the film. Yeah. Which is just it's just a perfect storm. And yeah. then the other thing is also I thought about this a long while, and I don't, you know, again, if you don't want to watch a movie with blackface in it, I totally understand. But what I would say is that here it truly there is no hint of it being um either approved of disapproved of really it is simply something it is simply a plot device you know yeah. it is simply it, it,
0: yeah there's no celebration of it and interestingly the guy who conducts the orchestra himself isn't in blackface true uh, it's just the individual musicians and and i think i agree with you daniel i think it was like oh how are we going to disguise this guy um, and that was the way they came up with. So they've got this orchestra conductor and they just said to music. here you go, this is what we're going to do. We're going to disguise all your faces so yeah. then we can. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no celebration of it.
2: No, it is just simply looking around you, looking at the world around you and coming up with stuff. Right. Because that was a thing that happened in hotels like that Absolutely. at that yeah. time. Right. Yes. So mm-hmm. they wouldn't have given it two thoughts.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah we're, we're, yeah, we're put in the same position as Nova Pillbeam and, and Will, you know, because basically what they're looking for is a guy that's got a twitch. That's all they know. He's got a twitch or twitchy eye, haven't they? That's all they know.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and so the whole situation is confused because they realise he's in the band, but every single member of the band is in blackface. Okay, so this is, this is where the whole element of, 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 as Daniel said, we can't cut this scene because the resolution to the whole plot is, is vital in this next couple of minutes. And do you know what I was reminded of? Not so much the previous, the first um, interpretation of the man who knew too much, but the second one with Jimmy Stewart and Doris Day, mm-hmm. uh, Royal Albert Hall isn't it and they're waiting for the man to play the symbols before the gunshot goes yeah on. and and you've got this thing where it's going through the crowd and it's focusing on the man with the symbols in that particular movie and I think that's called the murderous gay shot as well
0: yeah
1: but we get this marvelous scene where it goes through a wall the camera goes for a wall the wall parts it starts in the lobby of the hotel. And it sweeps through into the ballroom and it goes through the tables, it goes through all the crowd and the dancers and and then it goes on to certain members of this black-faced orchestra and then it focuses on the drummer and it gets closer mm-hmm. and closer yeah. <laughs> yeah. on his eyes. And, and even I'm thinking, because I haven't seen this film, Daniel hasn't seen this film as well, and I'm thinking, where's he going to go with this? This is Hitchcock. Is this man going to get the twitch?
0: Mm-hmm. Or is it going
1: to be another member of the orchestra? Or is it going to be somebody else completely? You, Because we know Hitchcock, we're thinking, he's playing games with us. You know, he's focusing on this man's eyes. But it could be somebody else completely. Yeah. It could be the waiter later on. You know, we don't know. But it's not. You get that resolution when the bang, the twitch kicks
0: in.
2: And... Right. Oh, it's, it's just I, I think incredible. I would have felt cheated if that wasn't <laughs> the case. Yeah,
0: if he <laughs> panned across to the waiter, that would yeah, that would have been unsatisfactory, I think.
1: <laughs> and, then, and then we get this amazing scene where because he knows that he's been rumbled, basically, he goes into the bathroom in the break and he takes some pills to to relax his, his twitch. I've no idea what the pills are, what he's taking to do this.
2: He's probably <laughs> taking like, I mean, they were popping a lot of pills back then, even back then, jazz people, weren't they? So True. I think mean, <laughs> that this was probably some very early amphetamines that he's...
0: Oh, okay. Mm.
1: Which, which obviously have, have the completely wrong effect that he wanted because it stops his twitch, but it also means he collapses across the...
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and a, a good old Nova pill bean kicks in with a first aid again bless her.
0: again yeah <laughs> um,
1: and, and they wipe off the makeup the tramp confirms like Will confirms that it's the man in the raincoat we get this most amazing confession mm-hmm. um, which is which is, I think this is a bit different to some of the other movies that w- where you know or you've seen before who who the villain is this guy is a complete stranger to us until this point.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, don't we see him in the very first scene?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's it, him,
1: he, isn't it? Of course it He is. has the <laughs>
0: argument <laughs> with Christine.
1: So it is him. Sorry, I didn't and even realise it. you do see it.
0: His, him twitching after they have an oh. argument. He goes out onto the balcony, I, I think. Do you know what? I miss that
1: oh it's, <laughs> i i think it's
2: it's totally understandable that you did because mm. if i hadn't been watching this with notes uh, yeah. i probably would have forgotten about him as well because he shows up in the first scene and then gets
1: completely forgotten
0: that's right we don't see him at all so a... is he the
1: guy arguing with her yeah, yeah. or she was her husband
0: yeah yeah uh
1: i
2: think he's i don't know if he's her husband No. But that's, certainly yeah. some sort of Romantic and tangled. Do you know yeah, what?
1: I, d- a, I didn't yeah. even I didn't even notice that. Oh fantastic. Thank you guys. That is my And I think actually <laughs> right, Daniel,
0: because we see him, this actor, George Curzon, at the first scene, and we see him in the last scene. <laughs> and and some we never sometimes you come back in the story because you know, you because he's he ought to be on the run. There ought to be a focus, yeah. thing, you know, and like, well, is oh, he not is a he, suspect suspect then How's yeah. he getting away with it? Mm. Oh, I didn't yeah, even realise.
2: Like, the the, the the film is absolutely uninterested in the who done it aspect
0: totally uh, yeah. Which
2: probably mm. like uh, might have also might also explain how how deeply it deviates from the novel but mm. it's really not like we were saying oh well, we don't know yet if if, if that's the guy part of me was thinking well yeah uh, we've not necessarily been given a rogues gallery of suspects (laughs) pretty sure it's not the dog you know
1: (laughs) see see that's the thing when I watch an Agatha Christie you know you always look out for like is it the minor character that you've just met that's you know the the, the gardener that miss marple has just said hello to in the background you know or something and and you look out for famous faces you know famous actors that it may be you know they're the they're the perpetrator (laughs) but i completely missed all of that i just assumed that that was her husband she was arguing with at the beginning um and 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 didn't pick up on the Twitch and all oh, that that's just elevated this up to another level for me guys. This yeah. is brilliant. This is <laughs> mm. Um but the way he confesses, I, I, I mean that is a, a amazing confession. Laughing yes. like a madman, you know <laughs> um,
2: My uh my wife's comment after that confession was, Oh, well that was easy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: final final thoughts guys I mean this is an early Hitchcock Mel is probably more familiar with the early stuff than myself and Daniel mm. where, where does this rank guys amongst the 39 steps and you know the ones we were speaking about earlier you know Sabotage or you know some of these early British Hitchcocks I'm, 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 I'll, I'll take first place here I'm, mm. I'm elevating this up and saying this is a bloody great Hitchcock movie yeah, um, yeah. and I'm glad I watched it um, Mel you've seen it before but what was it like for you this time round
0: it was because obviously I was looking at it in not just for the purposes of enjoyment, it was like all making sure I noticed things. Uh, but there is plenty to notice, as you say, mm. and there's plenty of themes and things, ah, that harks back to that. And, um, you know, looking for those actors, you know, there was this whole... I, I don't think i'd realized before how much of a sort of repertory company and of course that was as, as much to do with who was under contract to go marmont i suppose yeah. but you know percy marmont was in um the one with john uh john gilgood mm-hmm. secret agent and mary claire was in um who's the auntie she was in the lady banishes and of course got Basil but even the guy who's who's um part of the fight in the truck stop. He's also in the thirty nine. So if you start to see, so I'm starting to see all these connections. And so that was quite fun for me. Uh, I think, where does it rank in the pantheon of, of hit pre-Hollywood, Hitchcock? Mm, yeah. I would say fairly high. I'd say it's it's up there with um, the best, as I say, you know, Jamaica Inn is in a class of its own for all the <laughs> obvious. <novities. laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I think it's absolutely up there with The Lady Vanishes, which I think it probably has more in common with in terms of tone yes. than, yeah. than some of the, the darker ones I and mean, things like Sabotage. It's really, you know, it's a it's a dark film. It's a dark film. You know, a mm. child dies and a bomb blasts yeah. on a bus, you know. I mean, that's pretty dark.
1: It doesn't get much darker uh, than that, exactly. It does,
0: and then his sister murders the... the you know the bad guy. It, it's yeah, it's pretty. So I think it's definitely up there in the top. You know, half dozen. Definitely, I think mm. it's really great. I think it is a shame Nova Pilbeam didn't go on to do greater things. I mean, yeah. I heard uh, she she was tapped up by Hollywood, and I know they were they thought about her in terms of Rebecca, which would have been an interesting yes, I read one.
1: that. Yeah, mm. yeah, that would have been quite interesting actually. But, yeah. but she.
2: But she never went Hollywood, right? She never did. No,
0: no, she really I, didn't make that many films. She, she
1: retired, I think, early fifties. Um, mm. She only died quite recently in, in the nineties, right. only she? a few yeah, years yeah, ago.
0: And yeah. I didn't realise. Um, uh, that she actually, until after she died, she actually lived not far from me. Not that I would have recognised her, I'm sure, <laughs> at the age of ninety or whatever it was. um But yeah. yeah.
2: So I, w- w- one thing that I got from her Wikipedia page that I loved was that she refused to change her name because she was like, "This isn't any weirder than Myrna Loy or Greta Garbo." That's
1: true. Which is like, yeah, you go, girl. Like, <laughs> that yeah. is absolutely true. Daniel, yeah. for you as a first time watchmate, what just your final thoughts on it how how was this for you as a first time movie you know yeah
2: i i i I think it it, there's like it's almost a cliche now to say that like people underrate comedy right Mm. people think that like serious equals good so like in in I, i would say that this is to british hitchcock what North by Northwest is to Hitchcock's Im- imperial phase, yeah. you know, Ooh. like uh, North by Northwest doesn't get. Uh, as much respect as a vertigo or psycho Mm. or Mm. rear window uh but it's probably my favorite it is uh, my favorite it's my
1: favorite hitchcock movie of all time actually is it it's certainly
0: my favorite of that i love that phrase imperial Mm. period it's (laughs) definitely my favorite of that period definitely but
2: yeah i i wouldn't say that young and innocent is my favorite of the the british hitchcocks i mean there's a lack of cricket scores but i think it's a it's a really good it's a really good time you know it's uh, and it's 80 minutes i mean like i always you know (laughs) i I, i'll always give it up for movies that are less than 90 minutes oh yes, you know (laughs) that don't waste my time you know and and look at how much classic hollywood guys like 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 hitchcock or classic british cinema guys could do with 80 minutes and then yes. see how many flabby two two and a half hours <laughs> movies we have now that could be like seventy minutes.
0: Yeah, get the scissors out. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. If, if the story's good, if you're telling the story well, and and if you're telling it visually, as Hitchcock did so much, he gave us so many hints. As you're saying about the blindness and things, there's so many visual hints. Yeah, you don't need to have it too flabby. Yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, well, I enjoyed it. Absolutely enjoyed mm. it. it as a first time watch, and I'm going to go back to it very soon. It's something that I've, I've, I've got to go back and watch it to find out that bit about the beginning that I missed completely from <laughs> the start. Um, part of the reason we're reviewing this, and I'm going to put one of you two on the spot, is because Talking Pictures TV are going to be screening young and innocent. Over the next couple of weeks, probably two or three times, has anybody got the actual broadcast dates to hand?
0: Yeah, it's t- uh, tomorrow, the 23rd, as, as we're speaking on the 22nd, it's the 23rd of April at uh,
1: 1.20... That'll do, that's close enough, right? Yeah,
0: 1.20pm. <laughs> And then again on the 2nd of May at 10 o'clock in the morning.
1: Right. Well, hopefully, I mean, we're recording this. It is now 22.11 Um. on Thursday evening. If I work my magic and do a wonderful bit of editing and putting stuff together, we will get this out on the Friday. So if I can get this out before the first screening, it will be something. If not, please, you know, bear with us. You know, it's a very short window of opportunity we had for this. But i'll tell you what we're going to do normally at this point in real we take a break and we're going to do about what we're going to be watching next time um let's take a break but i just want to have a little chat with you guys before we go back after this Okay, Mel, Daniel, do you know what, guys? I thoroughly enjoyed our evening together. Um, I hope you two have as well. That's been great,
0: thank
1: you. Going to ask you both, would you both be willing to return in the very near future? You know, just do this again?
0: (laughs) I think so, I think so. I will have to check my schedule.
1: Oh, (laughs) sorting out his sock drawer again, Mel. That's what he's doing and we could decide we can choose another you know another movie from the talking pictures tv schedule or you know something else we can chat about you think we could do a googie with us we can do daniel we doesn't could we, we could do something crazy from i was going to say a 70s italian movie but the real italian uh real britannia doesn't do 70s italian <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. cop <laughs> <Some> movies italian <laughs> british co-production
2: <laughs> Yes, we'll, <laughs> some Harry Allen
0: Towers yeah. thing.
1: We will oh find goodness something. Allen Towers.
0: <laughs> You're going to make me watch a Harry Allen Towers movie. <laughs> I <don't know>
1: <laughs> oh, if I have to. <laughs> now, uh, as listeners know, I'm involved in a thousand other podcasts. Mel, you've, you've got some other bits and pieces, you know, on the airwaves as all well.
0: Manner of, yeah, I mm. do all manner of things. I've got a thing called, with a couple of friends called What Now, which is a, a community we've started for um ladies of a certain age (laughs) and it's tied to a wine bar that's just opened in fashion where we're going to use that as a venue to do all kinds of events it's not
1: far from me
0: it's not far, you should come now it's really good fun and so we're going to be doing all kinds of events there but yeah i do other bits and bobs if anybody is a reader of the yours retro magazine i have a piece in there next month uh, on oh. Hollywood actress sorry yeah on Kay Francis wonderful um, oh
1: that's that's yeah. interesting oh like, yeah because Adam's um, had some stuff put in there previously yeah well, yeah
0: so. yeah yeah so yeah so it's my first piece and I've um, yeah hopefully there'll be more to come from them so yeah watch out for that Excellent. Um yeah
1: okay but also the the main reason i've I've dragged you two out of this ungodly hour on a thursday (laughs) evening you know because usually we record at our own pace at talking pictures tv podcast you know we (laughs) especially you mel you record something you send it on to daniel daniel does the magic editing part he's amazing and i'm so
0: grateful to you daniel
1: And, and you know daniel you probably do your bits and pieces in the afternoon and you spare five minutes here and there so it's been really great to have you guys here at you know, half past ten on a Thursday evening. What we're going to say is, before we go, th- this is part of the reason I've, I've dragged you out. As a little reminder, Talking Pictures TV itself, for people that don't know, there may be some people out there that don't, it's, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It is, guys, the nation's favourite archive TV and movie channel, isn't it? It's just got all the old memories there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah you can find it on freeview and uview it's channel 81 channel 328 mm-hmm. on sky digital satellite good job i wrote this down it's virgin UK, <laughs> virgin on 445 and freesat 306 i don't know about you i watch it on freeview do you yeah me too
0: it's freeview the, 81 yeah, yeah easiest
1: way of watching it mm. now as for the talking pictures tv podcast well it's hosted by the three of us and you can find it well, pretty much everywhere that you download podcasts. There's no point in me saying it's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Spreaker, it's, on, it's everywhere. You know, it's on anywhere you download your podcast now, guys. Please take a listen, because the bulk of the show, we've said, is made up of contributions from you, the listeners, the viewers of Talking Pictures TV, the listeners to the Talking Pictures TV podcast. We've really got wonderful people that contribute week in, week out. Lots of people, many of which we've said this before, They've really become friends, guys, haven't they? Over the years, we've really got to know them and we've met them socially, we've met them at quiz nights. Just say something about, you know, we just can't encourage people enough to take part because we're not a scary bunch of people you know it's, it's nice to <laughs> nice to get involved in this sort of thing and it's not difficult Straight, to strangely do strangely
2: enough I mean like I, I, I know you're listening right now and thinking ah oh, a bunch of people who review old movies mm. you know I'm a bit intimidated <laughs> they seem a bit dodgy they might beat me up
1: we're actually yeah. quite friendly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're not all old farts either. I mean, at quiz nights, we've got we do. I can't remember her name. Bless her. She's contributing to the Facebook page regularly now. She's only about eighteen, doing like a film studies. Oh, school. Jade. Jade. Yeah, Jade. Jade sorry, I do apologise for getting yeah, your name Yeah, she's well in
0: her like twenties, J- doing a PhD on Valerie Hobson. There so, you go. You know. there you Jade,
2: go. <laughs> who, who, who knows who Valerie Hobson is, but is too young to know who Brian Ferry is which yes. to me I like, just compl- collapsed my whole notion of reality and history in, in
1: one fell swoop. this is why we love Jade and I do apologise for getting your name my love I'm so sorry Mel while we're here are you going to organise another quiz very soon
0: i am going to actually i was gonna um, and as soon as we firm up a date and yep. in the next weeks um then we'll get that straight on the facebook group and, and stuff and and it's lovely again it's lovely because we've got regulars coming who we've never met in real no, life
1: No, we haven't and um, they're, they're very far apart as well we've got some you know american viewers and people yep. all over the world you know, who don't yeah, actually watch the TV channel because they can't. I know, but they, <laughs> they
0: like to talk to like-minded people. So that's, you know, it's really lovely. And, and yeah, I and my one regret is that we didn't do that earlier, right at the beginning of lockdown. We didn't start the quiz know yeah.
1: Well, we'll continue yeah. doing it once all this horrible rubbish is out of the way because I think, you know, despite the fact that people are going to be able to get out and about, I think it's nice that we can drag people in from all corners of of the uk and
0: Absolutely. you know the world to, yeah.
1: to be part of this um yeah. just need to emphasize as well if, if you're daunted about taking part in the talking pictures tv podcast you don't actually need anything really fancy to do the recording on i mean you know daniel mel i you know we, we probably got some lot like, mixers and, and microphones and stuff like that but we've got a lot of contributors that just do it on an iphone or some sort of mm-hmm. like mp3 recorder you know that's all you need to do um hell you can chuck it in on a tape to tape thing or so. i don't i don't <laughs> care real real to real recorder you know a wax <laughs> cylinder we don't care um
2: yeah at, at this point everybody who owns a phone or a computer can probably do it
1: yeah there's, yeah. there's some you probably recording.
2: yeah probably if you if you think you can't just like check around your phone and you'll find an app that actually does that for you yeah
1: and, and even if you've not got the capability of editing if you just drop us a line in the email when you send it in and say guys I, I, I fluffed at about 30 seconds in, can you just remove that little you know mistake yeah. we'll do it for you you know that's no problem whatsoever
2: nice little sound pads, maybe with the soundtrack of the movie you're reviewing underneath it or we'll even, do that as well.
1: Yeah, if they just give us suggestions of what they'd like, you know, we can put a little bit of music to go with it or yeah. whatever, just to, just to jazz it up for you. So basically, guys, what we're going to encourage you to do is to take a listen to the Talking Pictures TV podcast. Just find it anywhere you download your podcast. If you like what you hear and you want to be part of it, drop us a line at uh, what is it? It's at Talking Pictures Com.
0: No, talking pictures at Clarence. Wow,
1: look at that. I've been doing this about 18 months and I still can't get that right. <laughs> <laughs> talking pictures at AttaboyClarence.com. We'll guide you through all you need to know.
0: Yeah.
1: That's it. This is the special episode of The Real Britannia. Keep an eye out for our next episode, guys. It's the next in our chronological reviews of the kitchen sink dramas. Uh, next week, it's back to 1959. We've got Lawrence Harvey in Room at the Top. Seen that, you two?
0: yeah yeah great great film great film
2: it's on my list
1: it's all right what we're doing is um we've decided to do like a chronological history of the young man movies but Mm -hmm. we we realized that it didn't start at room at the top or the richard burton one you know and it, it goes right back mel to um oh what's what's the one um Oh, Mel, no, I've completely gone, gone blank. Sunday. Um, it always, always rains on Sunday. It always, always rains Sunday. on Sunday. It, 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 that's almost like a um, British New Wave movie in its tone and the way it's sort of directed. Um, mm. So what we've done, we've got like the precursors and then we're going into like, you know, the 10 movies that are generally regarded as...
0: Fantastic, but also mm. the ones that
1: influence that as well. So in between, we have got things like Alfie and stuff like that, you know. And it's yeah. and it's been developing into a bit of a, a magnum opus. This one. So the <laughs> next one is Room at the Top. That's coming up on our next episode. We're also rapidly heading towards our fourth anniversary. Um cool. and with some careful planning, some rapid editing, it should also be our one hundredth episode, coinciding with our mm. fourth anniversary. So that's that's how long we've been going. And then it's going to be closely followed by our major Hammer Horror retrospective as well. We're going to start doing the Hammer Horror movies as well. Daniel, Mel, thank you once Mm -hmm. again for being here this evening.
0: Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was great fun.
1: We'll make this something a little bit more regular, I think, because I thoroughly enjoyed it. Me Um, too not necessarily talking pictures TV, but just general British movies as well. I'd like you to just bring something to the table and we'll happily talk about it. Sounds good. Okay, that's it. That was Young and Innocent. I'll leave you guys to work out which one of my two guests was which. <laughs> I'm young. You
0: okay.
1: <laughs> oh, go on, fight amongst yourselves. Go <laughs> I'll,
0: t- I'll take Innocent. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs>
1: I've been Scott she's been Mel he's been Daniel this has been Real Britannia take care everybody thanks for listening bye guys thank you bye Bye.
0: That you shot, good well,
1: boy, Austin. Goodbye.
0: Good luck. Thank you.
2: Push your hand up, sir.